I, I take that responsibility very seriously, but I never hide from the fact that at the end of the day, most of my motivation comes from uplifting and preserving and protecting blackness. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we speak truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. How can I introduce this next guest? Podcaster, public speaker, and CEO. Well, that's how she describes herself. An entrepreneur and a self-professed nerd also describes her. This proudly black, mixed, and nerdy lady is ready to show us all that we are not a monolith. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the founder and CEO of Hustle Main Media, Charmaine Fury. And this is her revelation. Well, how are you doing? Hello. You know, it's been a minute since I have talked to you, friend. <laughs> ah, it's great to see you and hear from you again. Nice to see you too. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Well, thank you for taking up the invitation. Ah. Uh, before I even get started on the main portion of this interview, I just uh, I, I I feel for you because uh, you were where my original hometown is, <laughs> and I know it is cooking up a storm out it's there. Hot. <laughs> and I don't have my uncle rag near me, so I'm just gonna be, you know, patting every so often. <laughs> that, look, that's quite all right. I totally understand. I totally understand it. All right. So, uh, what we normally do in this, since we you're on the first time here, we like to do what we call open the way. You know, I learned as I came along, the conversations start when vulnerability enters the room. So this is normally the spot where we try to open up that vulnerability. Uh, so uh, I know Texas is where your roots are. Uh, is it Houston where your roots are? Is it somewhere else in the state? Well, uh, no. So, te- well, I was born in California. Um, oh, so, that's right, that's right, yeah, that's I was born right, in Sacramento, right, but I moved around a lot because I got a military family. But my black side of my family, my ancestral origins are um, Galveston enslaved, became right. became generally southern, southern eastern Texas. And then my great grandmother, 
popped on a, a wagon and got herself over to California because my uh, great grandfather was a, a horse thief slash train porter. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he made his way to California after almost getting caught stealing horses. And so she was like, I got all these kids. I guess I'll meet you there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that's how I became a California um, mixed black, I guess. Uh, so my, mm. my, my, my family ended up in Riverside and then all my family is military. So I moved around a bunch. So I, I claim Long Beach as my hometown because that's when I woke up 11 to 15 years old, kind of that personality yeah. forming time. Right. Uh, so I, I rep for Long Beach, the 213, but now I live in the 713. Uh-huh. <laughs> How convenient! <laughs> and in all this time, I've known I've known the area code of LA. Never dawned on me it was that way. Well, so two one three is like old Long Beach, like when right. I was growing up. So now I, I I don't know what they are, but it's not um it's it not everybody has two one three. I still have my two one three number, and I'm holding on for dear life um, <laughs> to it because I'm always representing. But uh, but yeah, so I'm from I'm from the two one three. See, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> see, I, <laughs> I, I, I come from Houston. I don't live there now, but I hold on to the number uh, as tight as possible still. Mm -hmm. So I know how that is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. So you have oh, that. Now, this is interesting. So you have California and Texas roots before you were even born. Now, I like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we got to know each other, we talked about this holiday that people didn't know about, and it was called mm -hmm. Juneteenth. Well, all of a sudden, people know about it now. Uh... <laughs> Stressing me out, too. <laughs> all right. So, and I wanted to ask you this as soon as I remembered it. Mm. So, how did you receive Juneteenth, bec Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday when not even like the year before, it wasn't even on people's radar? Yeah, you know what? I, it was one of those things where I think I thought I wanted people to know about it until people <laughs> knew about it. And it was like, je regret. Like, I instantly yes. regretted that people learned about it. So for me, you know, like I said, my, my family is ancestral roots are from here. So, like, it was a big deal. Our family descends from enslaved um, people that passed to the Galveston port. So, right. like, for us, mm -hmm. we held it. And yeah. I was one of the few um, kids growing up in California that like knew about it. I was, I was the kid telling other black kids like, wait, you don't know about emancipation, you know, like, right. um, and, and, you know, I'm mixed, I'm black Japanese and, and a little bit British too. And so it was, it was weird to be like the pale one telling everybody like, yo, we have this holiday that acknowledges, um, emancipation. And, uh, and so, you know, the red foods, the whole thing, like this was always something my family celebrated. And I, I started doing Juneteenth episodes for my show because I wanted, like I said, I thought I wanted people to know about it. <laughs> and when it became, when I heard that people were trying to push it for a federally recognized holiday, I think initially I was like, yeah, let's do it because I wanted black people to have the day off. Right. Um, uh, but once I realized who was pushing for it, I was like, ah, no, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. <laughs> and now I definitely don't want this because um, it is not the freedom for me. <laughs> right. Uh, I do not want corporations capitalizing on our struggles mm -hmm. or our history. And even though like Walmart took a big hit on social media about it, they're still pushing out materials that aren't Juneteenth related now but it's like it's the struggle for the struggle is real candles and 
and um what's the tea and stuff like that like on candles and like that and i'm just like uh mm-hmm. no 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 <laughs> I, I i regret <laughs> i regret that the rest of the world found out about oh, gosh. juneteenth the dangers of when something gets co-opted yeah it's yeah it, and it's yeah. a problematic thing to say and i've said it multiple times and i know that it's terrible that i said it but there is aspects of segregation that I kind of wish we were able to hold mm. like that. Our neighborhoods were able to stay where we can have black doctors, black, you know, black dentists, yeah. like mm-hmm. things like that, whatever. And this holiday is kind of one of those things too, where it's just like, it needed to be for us. I, mm. a couple years ago, I started to tell my boss is when I had, you know, when I was working for other people, I'd be like, you know, I'm a descendant of Galveston enslaved. This day is very special to my family. I'm taking the day off. I'm asking for you to pay me for it. And I'm asking for you to also let all the other black people on staff know that they have that free day off. Um, The first year I got the day off and I don't believe the rest of the black folks or mixed black folks, uh, which at the time we had 11, um, got it or were told. And then I started telling people, I was like, this is what I did last year. And so collectively, a few of us talked about it and um, they ended up making it an option for people to take off paid. And this was a year before it or two years before it became federally recognized. So, yikes. I mean, I don't know. I have feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And I figured you would. Because when I put this question in here, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get a really good profound answer from you on this one. Uh, because I have a lot of a lot of similar feelings about that, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you actually said that because I, w- the one thing I've noticed about you, and it's not just by profession, it just simply is who you are. Blackness seems to be a huge thing for you. It's so, my primary identity, yeah. Right. So, well... Uh, where do you think, other than, of course, you lived the experience, obviously, did you get such a profound love of the culture? Well, um, so, you know, I'm, I am black Japanese mix, but I always would describe myself as weekend Japanese because I, I wasn't able to, like, exist as a Japanese person or even a Japanese mixed person. I mean, culturally, Japanese aren't for mixing. Like, just right. by nature of me being born in America and mixed, I'm already not Japanese to Japanese people because they have a very nationalistic view. You're Japanese if right. you're from Japan. Right. That being said, they have their own experiences of prejudice and racism as well yes. in country. But mm-hmm. here I'm removed from Japanese status because I was born in America. And then on top of that, I'm second generation American born and I'm mixed race. So... You know, there's extra things. So I got to be Japanese in my grandma's home Mm -hmm. exclusively. I couldn't go like when we went to other Japanese events and stuff like that. I wasn't there as my grandmother's granddaughter. I was there sometimes if we ran into people she knew as uh, the child of a friend of hers or something like that, um, because she was nervous that people would figure out that we were black. Uh, I was darker when I was little, but I still like I'm not identifiable as black to non-black people. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm not white. That's for sure. Right. Um, I'm not Asian even. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people don't view me as Asian. I'm I'm really racially ambiguous in my presentation. So, so that's why I don't have the same level of connection to being a Japanese. Like I don't have a lived Japanese experience. I guess is right. what I want to say. I have a weekend in my grandma's home Japanese experience. Whereas every aspect of my life was black. I lived in black neighborhoods. My dad's black. 
my the church I grew up in was black. The elementary schools I went through were predominantly black and Mexican. Um, so for me, it's not that I like learned the love of the culture. I am the culture. I'm yeah. part of the culture, you know, and especially and which is different in California, like the way you experience a mixed black person who presents like me versus the way you experience a mixed black person that presents like me here in the South. In the South, I'm black. Right. I don't have to answer too many questions. And if I do have to answer a question, the question is not what are you? What are you? It's what are you mixed with? So mm. black people are already telling me, I know you're black, but what's the other thing? <laughs> or in California or anywhere else that I go, it's what are you? And, Mm -hmm. and so, except for with black folks. And so um, I get to exist. I don't even like that. I said it that way, but whatever it's, it's language. I get Mm -hmm. to exist as a mixed black person with a black identity with very little questioning more often than not. My blackness is questioned by white people. Mm. So for me, it's, I just, I am the culture. I'm from the culture. It's my culture and I love Mm. us, you know, why does that not? Well, that is wonderful uh, that that you are that way. But why does that not surprise me that I've heard that about <laughs> how white people just treat? Never mind. I can go on a tangent with that. Uh, well, you have sufficiently opened the way, and I think we have to continue on with this conversation. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> with Charmaine Fury right after this. You have to learn to live with yourself before you can make a commitment of yourself to someone else. When you go to something that's already structured, like the church, I don't need to go into thing I'm the pastor. It's like already one set up, you know what I'm saying? It, was, it just had everything, but I learned, you know what I'm saying? I, everything I did, I learned from. So we look forward to seeing you same time, same place. Know that we love you, God loves you more. Continue to stay safe, do the right thing. Stay out of trouble. Conversation that informs a community. Brothers of Legacy. Every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. If you're looking for a sports program that gives you the flavor. Washington Commanders? Really? This whole thing stinks to high heaven. That pulls no punches. Thuggish act by a thuggish actor that gives you some humor praise everything lebron does and never criticize it if you want a show that gives you good times then this is that show i am cole johnson and welcome to cole sports with the z Every Friday on Patreon and every Saturday on YouTube, Spreaker, and all other outlets.
Charlemagne Fury is joining me on Revelations, and she just opened the way, and I think now it's time we go on that bridge to prosperity. Now, here is where we try to link childhood lessons to adult applications. So you mentioned your West Coast roots, and uh, you mentioned a little bit culturally how things are. Uh, So I met you when you were living out there. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, what as an adult made you stay out there? Well, I move around a lot. So I think uh, linked to the fact that I was a military kid, every four or five years, I get this itch to move. (laughs) Um, and so as an adult, uh, when I was 27, I left California. I went from uh, California to Austin. I was here for about five and a half years and I went from Austin to Massachusetts to Boston. Um, I was out there for about five and a half, six winters. I was there for six winters. Um, you only count that in winters. And then I was like, I'm done with winter. (laughs) So (laughs) I wanted to go back home to California and uh and so we went back to LA and we were there for five and a half years as well and I probably could have stayed there but I got to a point where I wasn't thriving quite the way I wanted to and the opportunity presented itself for me to come back to Texas and open a comic book shop with a friend of mine from business school and so that's that's why I did that and so between every Every four years, I get the itch. Every five, five and a half years is when I actually move, usually. Um, so what kept me in Cal- what got me back to California, I guess, mm-hmm. was just like, I finally got homesick and needed to have some adult time in L.A. It's time to let my nerd flag fly and take some risks and do, do this other thing. And so that's, that's how I ended up in Houston. Um, so, and now I'm here in Houston. I did come here to open my, my comic book shop. I have since left my shop and transferred my ownership, my co-ownership over to my, my business partner because, um, different opportunities presented itself once I got here, like in terms of what I was lacking in thriving in California hit way too quickly here. When I got to Houston, (laughs) things opened wide up and I was able to change my path again within the first eight months of, of living here. Mm. Yeah, we might have to, to talk about how and what opportunities did present itself once you got there. Uh, all right, so if you had to take something from L.A., uh, what would that be? You know, I don't know. L.A. is a weird place. It's home. It's my home terra, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's not a... You know, it's one of those things, like, it's the racism I know. It's the it's the the sunshine I know it's the weather I know it's the, like there's so many different aspects about it that it's like once you move to different places you start to be like oh I don't like I don't like this or this doesn't feel comfortable or whatever or I don't know how to maneuver this so like maneuvering racism in Massachusetts I hate it I absolutely hate, I mean obviously you hate <laughs> maneuvering yeah. racism anywhere but in boston in particular is one of the most racist places i've ever existed in mm-hmm. and i i could not wait to get out of there um no more time in the deep north if i can avoid it and uh and so i wanted to come back home because i didn't want to deal with what they were like you know yeah. um so my my california thing is just like 
the second I touch down, I, I realize I feel at home when I hit LA and I don't know why specifically, but it just is the spot. It's where I've laughed the most. I I love comedy and I, I spent a lot of time in the comedy, you know, clubs and stuff like that as a as an attendee um one time as a stand-up and uh you know i laughed the most there i've i've produced some films there i've i've made some connections there that i just it just feels like home when i'm there now i heard that uh you know i'm so glad you mentioned racism in la i heard it's prevalent there but it's described as disguised it's disguised yeah yeah uh so in so in light of a few incidents that came from there, of course, you know, back in the 90s, we had Rodney King in the trial mm-hmm. there and then O.J. Simpson in his trial there. Uh, what are your thoughts about that aspect of L.A. culture? What I hate the most about people's view of L.A. is that, like, oh, you're so lucky you don't have to deal with the racism and stuff like that. <laughs> in Cal- you know, like the amount of people who have said this, it makes me laugh every time. And I'm like, do you not understand the history of the LAPD? The LAPD mm-hmm. was, is, was created by transporting KKK members from the South to California for the purpose of policing the influx of black and brown communities that had started springing up. Mm-hmm. Um, California has an extremely, or LA in particular, has an extremely mm-hmm. racist history um, down to the Chinese massacre that a lot of people don't right. um, know much about to, um, to like the, you know, the, the ways in which they segregated black and brown communities as well. Um, how they move people around and things like that. And then of course we have literal KKK members are the founding members of the establishment of LAPD. So racism has never not been on the agenda for them and continues on into, into um, the time that I was growing up there was when Daryl Gates was the, was the chief of police during Rodney King and all that other kind of stuff. So I got to experience and the Vikings, the Vikings were an inter police force gang. They all had tattoos of the Viking logo from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, then they, they were tasked to basically just go in there and harass black and brown communities. And in some cases, you know, kill folks and, 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 and beat up folks that extended into long beach where I was growing up at the time. And, um, and so the, the, dis- the disguising of it is it's Hollywood. It's liberal. Even our rich people mm-hmm. are cool. But no, all the same things that are happening in other places are happening in L.A. It's just that you're distracted by the glitz and glamour of different aspects of that city. Um, But uh, you can drive into any of the predominantly black and brown communities of L.A. and you can see the same level of degradation and and oppression that happens anywhere else in the in the country. So I really don't like that people don't realize when they're outside of LA um how how terrible LA can be. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, it's like one of those things, you know, you're familiar with what you grow up with. So that's my terrible. Right. When I come to a different place and I live in a different place and I learn that local place is terrible. Um, you know, I, I still don't feel like I fit because it's a different type of experiences that I have. Um, wow. You know, so, yeah, L.A. has a terrible racist history, even down to how we got water mm-hmm. and, you know, like who they had to move around to get the water and stuff like that. Like there's no aspect in the same way that there's no aspect of the United States history um, of infrastructure or anything like that that doesn't rely on the bodies of black and brown people. Mm. Uh, L.A. is no different. Yeah. No different. Wow. 
Uh, and yeah, not to mention they held Japanese concentration camps there too. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the the largest Japanese population in the country at the time was there, and still I think I kind of is. I believe has mm. has kind of come back a bit. Um, mm. But you know, everybody was moved from there. A whole communities, their stuff was taken away from them, and um, and they were sent to concentration camps. And then when they returned, they didn't have their existent their their mm. homes, their property was gone too so yeah la has a terrible history yeah. uh but they like to mask it in this like newfound unity that we have we're such a diverse place uh blah 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 but it's <laughs> it's no different <laughs> it's no different than any other because i'm here now in the third ward and um, this is where i open the shop and i you know i'm like three or four blocks away from TSU. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a predominantly black community, yeah. a historically black community. There's, there's, mm-hmm. you know, landmarkers that show um, how black people thrived in the past here. Right. Uh, it's being heavily gentrified right now too. So there, <laughs> that's that aspect of discomfort. And even oh, yeah. I feel like, while it feels familiar to me because it feels not much different than the community I grew up in, just like a Texas version of it with slightly less Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I also feel like an infiltrator. You know, I I do kind of feel to a degree right. like not a gentrifier, but mm-hmm. an infiltrator in that it's not the community that I grew up in, and I still come here with lighter skin and you know Japanese style hair, I guess, and or textured hair, and mm-hmm. and so um, short of people taking a moment to see that I'm a mixed black person, I do feel like I've I've somewhat infiltrated a community that I'm. I'm not from, mm-hmm. even though I grew up in very similar circumstances, you know, very, very similar. Um, but it's, it's, I, I'm more comfortable here than I feel in other parts of Houston mm-hmm. now that I've lived here for a year, but mm-hmm. same thing. Like, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not where I grew up. So. Yeah. <laughs> speaker and entrepreneur Shamin Fury after this. Of course, Jeff Curry. Tim Anderson. Jordan Alvarez. And it's caught. Debo Samuel with the catch. Michael Jordan can sense. The throw just got the king. BS3 Network. The hottest of hot takes. The coldest of cold hard facts. This is Snowman in the Morning with Gold Johnson. Weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. Discouragement. Sorrow. Distance. Your arguments cause damage to your family. The hurt leads to divorce. You feel like there is nowhere else to turn. But there is hope for you. That's where we come into play. There is an overcomer that lives inside of you. One ready to take on the world as you leap for joy, living in victory. You'll grow to love yourself and others. There's life after divorce. And you can claim it today. Get over divorce. Where your new story begins here every Thursday on YouTube and Spreaker.
Entrepreneur, public speaker, CEO, Charmaine Fury is joining me on Revelations. Uh, we have opened the way. She's walked across that bridge with me. And now it is time to go behind the purpose. And in Behind the Purpose, this is the reason why we function the way we do. Now, you, ma'am, Sir Auntie Maine, uh, describe yourself as a mixed black nerd. Hence the title of one of your podcasts, Blurred Comics. Mm. Now, how has that designation given you such strength over, over the course of time? And I know you suffered some difficulty too. How did people also make it difficult for you to live the life of a mixed black nerd? I think um, the way that it empowers me or gives me power is claiming the way I access my nerd, right? Like mm-hmm. um, black and brown people aren't considered categorically what you think of when you think of geeks and nerds and stuff like that. And I've been a lifelong comic book reader and fan, but I was growing up in a time where black people couldn't express geek you know, couldn't express nerd, couldn't express fandoms um, without some form of uh, ridicule because like we had, you know, as a community, we had to live up to certain expectations that some of us, some of them were placed on us by ourselves. Some of those were placed on us by, by whiteness. And, um, and so I had to hide this aspect of myself and didn't really get to be my full self. But the way that I access any kind of fandom is through my mixed black lens, you know, like I, I the way I describe myself like growing up I was I was a black girl who happened to have a Japanese mom Mm. and then I left and went to the suburbs and lived in a predominantly white community and Mm. that's how I learned I was mixed that's how I learned people didn't see me as a black kid because Mm. I was black and at home but when I left that community the other people that existed around me didn't see me as that way so I was fighting to constantly share like I'm black like it's I'm black like I don't know how else to say that I'm black I I I don't know how to maneuver any other way right so I I just I tell people like I I was black until I was about 15 16 and I moved to a different community and that's when I became mixed so the reason why I, I put forward that I'm even identifying as a mixed person is because I know that my face comes with questions. You know, I know that my skin tone comes with questions, my hair texture. And um, rather than being accused of cultural appropriation or co-opting or anything like that, you know, I'm putting forward, like, I know that you can identify me as black, but guaranteed. Like, that's why I say I'm, this is why I usually say I'm mixed black versus even saying mixed black Asian or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I exist in a predominantly black life. My life is Everything that I access, I access through my black lens. And nerdery is a part of that. Where people have taken it away from me is more of the, or attempted to, because you can't take it away from me. Of course. Um, (laughs) uh, Where they've attempted to is is the thing of just like, I'm a femme-bodied person. So obviously you can't be a nerd because, you know, people with boobs can't be 
understand comics evidently um you know the wow. things like that it's 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 like you know first of all you're you're a femme then you're brown then you're you know like there's so many things about you that aren't coding nerd. And that's because they're centering whiteness and they're centering in particular 18 to 45 year old white guys. Like that's who you get, who gets to be in quotation fingers, who gets to be a nerd. And then you see me and more often than not, I can go head to head with people's comic book knowledge. And they're just a guy who likes Batman or Superman. And I'm a person who reads all kind of, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's so many things like you're not going to, um, to contend with me in some cases and not, you know, and I, and I don't have nearly as much knowledge as some of our mutual friends, you know, that Mm -hmm. we, that we both know in blurred spaces, like they're the people I go to when I don't know something. But when I go into a comic book shop and it's predominantly, you know, white male clientele there and stuff like that. And the first question is, you know, do you understand that you're in a comic book shop? Like, no, I, that was really confusing. I don't know how I ended up here. Uh, or, you know, wow. like if I pick up a certain book, it's like, do you understand that this is a part of a series and that this is like <laughs> the second book? And I'm like, do you understand that I walked straight to that cat, that section, grabbed one book, didn't browse, came to the front because this is all I want. You know, there's so many times in which someone has tried to make me seem like I don't know anything. Or are you buying this for your boyfriend? Do you know what other books he collects first of all assumptions you know like you don't know my my deal at all Mm -hmm. and for me like i'm all the things that tells you i can't possibly be a nerd i'm a bi-gendered identity femme-bodied person Mm -hmm. um i am black and asian i am uh you know like i'm also 44 so like people think Mm -hmm. you grow out of it and the thing is like comics aren't really for kids like and right. even when I was reading comics as a kid, most of those I shouldn't have been reading. You know, like they mm-hmm. were, they've never really been for kids. Well, maybe in the golden age, but like, you know, now they're for older folks and, and stuff like that. So nothing's diminished it for me. And I, yeah. I don't really allow people to take away my power. But that being said, it does. They do attempt it a lot. Mm. Good. And I'm glad that they I'm glad that they can't uh, because just in knowing you, that's part of your charm to me. Mm. Like the fact that the, the fact that you're proud to be a nerd and you're proud to be black long with being a nerd and you wave that flag proudly and high. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. Rocket, rocket sis, I want you to do it. Yeah. And the fact that <laughs> the fact you have people who basically call you out on different things such as, okay, you're female, so you can't do that. You're black, so you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must be doing this for a man. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and then allude to the fact that you actually might be illiterate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, all like oh, these things. boobs are in the way of the pages. Yeah. I can't yeah. see them. You yeah. know, like yeah. it's so I, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, ma'am. I know your breasts can't read. So, <laughs> I know. It's... you address ignorance in other ways too. Uh, <laughs> you host a podcast called Militantly Mixed. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do people approach you if they do know you have a podcast of this nature, uh, considering your boldness in mixing politics, social commentary, and race? Um, you know, for the most part, Militantly Mixed is, is a community-based conversational podcast with other mixed people. So I'm mostly only interacted with uh, through mixed people who are trying to find community, who are trying to find uh, representation. Because, for you know, right. even when you do see mixed people on TV... Um, it's almost always a black, white, biracial, inter, mm-hmm. you know, interracial couple that has a, a, a more obviously black looking child. Um, 
you know, there's colorism at play and things like that. And, and, and people just tend not to see themselves or, or not see the reality of what it's like to exist as a mixed person on the screen. And so mm-hmm. where, where militantly mixed comes in, these are people that are usually just trying to hear something that sounds like what they experienced. And, and so, um, I, I I mostly have these really positive experiences about it because people are trying to find it. Now, when white people find me, <laughs> I get two different kinds of reactions. I get the quote unquote woke white person who's really trying to learn oh, no. and in doing so will make mistakes that they need to tell me about. And, um, and then that ends up being, well, like in the past, when I first started, it ended up being this free labor teaching moment where I'd be like, no, don't do that. And here's why, where now I'll just be like, this is a podcast that you're welcome to listen to and learn from. It's not a podcast in which you are invited to engage on, um, because this is for the people I'm making it for full stop. Uh, once I started doing that, which I, was a really bold thing because for a period of time, a big part of my audience were white women who had mixed children. Um, I, I needed them to understand that like what they were learning by listening to my show was what their children were going to experience. And they were yeah. never going to fully understand what those children were going to experience. So they had to do their job to try to make sure that they embrace whatever that child was going through so that they could help you know, maneuver them through those spaces. The other kind of white person I get is the person who doesn't understand what the word militant means in terms of racial militancy. And will say like, your show sounds so nice and kind. It's not very militant. (laughs) And I'll be like, obviously you've done your research on racial militancy. Um, (laughs) Because racial militancy is service to our community. That is the foundation of being a racial militant person is to service our community. Um, Like the Black Panthers, they created food programs and backpack programs and walking people home from dangerous situations programs. They started to protect their neighborhoods. And yes, they did do that with guns and things like that. But Mm -hmm. they were being responsive to in kind to what they were experiencing Mm -hmm. when they started to become criminalized for protecting their community and their PR changed. (laughs) Um, Yes. That's what people are expecting when they hear militantly mixed. And so I will get the, the type of person that will say like, Oh, I, you know, I heard about your shows and they're usually like, in the podcasting business in some way, shape or form. And they'll check mm-hmm. it out because they, they want to engage on something and, and they'll be like, yeah, I'm not picking up militancy. And I was like, well, why don't you look up what racial militancy is? And come back to me, you know, cause I'm not doing the work anymore. I'm not going to do the work for white people anymore. Um, it is, if, if you want to do business with me, you can't come to me and correct with what you understand racial militancy to be. And so for me, militantly mixed is a service to my mixed race community. It's providing a space where they can hear conversations regular ass mixed people for us by us about us sharing our experiences um so that they can hear that they're not alone and that is the predominant thing is that when i hear people reach out to me because they heard the show it's i didn't know i wasn't the only person that experienced this and and sometimes it matters what your mix is if it relates to somebody else's mix and sometimes it's like an Iranian Filipino experiences the same thing that a black, white, biracial American does. You know, I've, I've, there's so much parallel. There is a lot of differences, but there's so much parallel that as a community, we've been able to grow through the show in just understanding, you know, the, the experiences that we generally have as, as mixed people. Um, 
So that's that's militantly mixed, and then I have eleven billion others. <laughs> <laughs> I became militantly mixed podcast host and public speaker about mixed race identity because I started this podcast. But at the heart of everything I do, it's blackness first. So oh, yeah. for me, like you take you take you take that or leave it if you're entering. I'm I'm the first mixed race podcast that lasted beyond 12 episodes. There was, uh, uh, there were shows that existed before me, but they, they tapped out after six to 12 episodes. And by the time I started my show, there hadn't been another mixed race podcast active in over a year. So I'm, I am the first one technically that is active today um, in this run of like this new mixed race podcast and, and openly talking about mixed race identity um, thing. I'm, I'm the beginning of that. And I, I, I take that responsibility very seriously, but I never hide from the fact that at the end of the day, most of my motivation comes from uplifting and preserving and protecting blackness. Yeah. More with Charmaine Fury on the other side. I want to do a TED Talk, but I don't have anything to talk about yet. I'm getting there. Life is for the living. We're not here that long. You can learn anything you want to learn without any money spent. What do I really enjoy? What do I really want out of life? I am your host, W-I-Z-E. Are you in a life-holding pattern? Well, this is for you. Welcome to the Stuck in My Mind podcast. You want to watch these interviews commercial free? Well, now you can. Revelations is on Patreon. Become a patron today. entrepreneur, public speaker, podcaster, podcast producer. And I don't know how many other titles I can give you. Charmaine Fury is joining me here on Revelations. I'm enjoying this conversation. She's opened the way. She's walked across that bridge. She has given you the purpose of what she does. And now it's time to bring it all to light. Now, all of us shine in a new way, and this is how she particularly shines. Now, amongst, like you said, and this came out of your mouth, not mine, you <laughs> you have many different platforms podcast-wise. Mm. Here's another one. So you host another one called By Furious. So mm-hmm. 
I think I have an understanding as to why, but just to have you explain it, why the title and why the feeling of furious? I'm an angry bisexual. My last name is Fury. <laughs> <laughs> and she says this with a laugh. <laughs> yeah, so... um by Furious was what I was doing with Militantly Mix. I, I was missing in my queerness. I, I am a bisexual, polyamorous, identified person. Um, and while I have been married to a cisgendered, heterosexual, mixed Arabic and white man uh, for the last 22 years, I am all times are am bisexual. Like I said, I'm also polyamorous. So I do have relationships um, separate from my my marriage or my primary relationship. And um, the way in which people treat bisexuals is this. We're either a unicorn, a dragon or we don't exist. You know, like it's it's it, we're either mythical or we're an illusion. And um, and bisexuality is always viewed as being sort of like a gateway to deciding if you're going to be queer uh <laughs> um where like my whole life the i chased boys and girls like even in hindsight i can see when i was holding little sarah's hand in first grade i was holding little sarah's hand you know like i was i was interested in in her in the same way that i might be interested in a little boy too and um and the amount of times that my bisexuality gets invalidated because I happen to have partnered with a man. Um, I mean, first of all, I fell in love when I was 22 with a friend that I'd had for seven years. Yeah. I, I mean, that if I was going to be monogamous, that was going to block me from like experiencing my full sexual orientation, my full sexual desires and things like that. Um, and and that's something that happens to a lot of bisexual people because they they are monogamous and um, they end up picking one and then they end up having an identity that's associated with that. My shows are named after me basically. So I am militantly mixed. My show is called militantly mixed. I am by furious. My show right. is called beer by furious. I am a blurred. I am mixed, which is why we have MIX in the way we spell comics and it's a comic book show. Mm-hmm. I, I am these things. And so all of my shows are named pretty much after me in some form charmaine fury the first place where my head went when i first saw you mention that name i wanted to jokingly tease you and say all right so are you a uh, relative of nick fury i am the <laughs> the mythical child of samuel l jackson um <laughs> and i have said this for years and when um except for the two years that I worked on the same show as his actual biological child. And I had to uh, keep my distance because I was so embarrassed about that. Um, I, uh, when, when he took on the mantle, the fury mantle, um, everything about him in that role clicked into place. Like, it's not just that I'm the mythical child of Samuel L. Jackson. I am the child of, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> See, my curiosity almost w- wants to, wants to maybe ask you the question. So, uh, how was she the, the Samuel L. Jackson's daughter? <laughs> she is him. She is like legit. <laughs> I 
I was working on a show and I didn't make the connection, even though I knew the name of his family because I'm a fan. Um, I didn't make the connection and uh, I had my bad motherfucker wallet. I had Samuel Jackson all over my desktop screen. (laughs) Um, I was wearing T-shirts with his face on all the time. Like I'm I'm legit a fan. And Mm -hmm. um, my boss at the time, it said like he's laughing and he's like, I cannot wait for you to meet Zoe. And I was like, I was like, why are they also into Samuel L. Jackson? <laughs> and he's like, no, do you not know her? Have you not, you know, you don't know who she is? And I was like, well, I booked her flight, but I haven't met her yet. And he's, and then I thought, I was like, oh crap, her last name was Jackson. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> because of course a celebrity's child would end up working on in TV also. Right. And when she walks into the door, like you didn't have to point her out. Like she's got his vibe for real. She looks like her mother, but she acts like him. And um, mm-hmm. I instantly just like buttoned everything down. Like I toned everything down. I stopped telling people <laughs> that I was this child. Cause I've been telling people I was this child since high school. I oh, have no. had a long standing obsession with, um, with Samuel Jackson. And, um, <laughs> uh, and so at one point, Later in the first season of the show we worked on, I was driving somebody, one of the other people on set um, had had like some need to go pick up a prescription or something like that. And I I was a free person. So I was like, yeah, I'll take you. And um, while we're in the car, the girl goes, do you know who's the person that's like obsessed with Zoe's dad? And it was just so random. Like we weren't talking, we didn't even know each other. We didn't, we weren't talking. And I started laughing. I was like, oh no. I was like, that's me actually. Oh, and she goes, oh, it's you. She's like, I like you. Because at first she was ready to like hate on whoever it was. She's like, no, I like you. You're always, you know, helpful and dope and stuff like that. She's like, what is it? And I was like, I go, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Hurts with, um, he did an uh, uh, interview where he described that he had a childhood stutter. And the way he broke his stutter was every time he felt the compulsion to stutter, he would say motherfucker. That's that's why he says it. And the fact that that trained him out of his stutter and why he's become famous and synonymous with that, which is also my favorite word. um, It endeared me to him so much that I instantly was like, that's my dad right there. And I've been saying it, I, I want to say probably since I was like 14 or 15 years old, and I'm 45 now. So it's it's crazy, at the level of obsession that I have. So yeah, that happened. And she's like, well, no, I want to introduce you guys now. And I was like, no. She's like, have you met? I was like, no. I was like, I interact with her, but I never tell her who I am. I do not want to be the person that like becomes her friend and also has an obsession with her dad. Like, I don't want her to feel like I'm meeting her that way and so I always tried to avoid engaging with her in that respect but she was Mm -hmm. funny and she's dope and she says motherfucker just like he does and um and yeah he's awesome (laughs) there she's awesome uh but yeah so um but when he became fury it was Mm -hmm. just like everything about who he was as that character combined so many of my worlds Mm -hmm. that yeah that's that's how I um, what I say is that I gave up my married name and went back to my maiden name. <laughs> what gave you the itch to move to Houston? Specifically, the only reason I moved to Houston was because my business partner's from here. And uh, when he reached out to me and said um, he had an opportunity 
to start this business, he said, he's, he's like, I want to start a comic book shop, but I really only kind of want to start it if you're involved. And, and he's like, is there any chance you would be willing to join me on this journey? And I was like, absolutely. Because I had told him a couple of years mm -hmm. before that I wanted to open a comic book shop, but I was trying to figure out how it was even going to be feasible for me to do that in LA. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a hood kid who didn't have a comic book shop and I always right. wanted to have a black comic book shop because I wanted people. And I do say things like people who look like me and I do mean black people, even though I know that I'm ambiguous in my presentation. Um, but, you know, I wanted people who look like me to be able to feel comfortable in a nerd space without being, um, you know, disenfranchised in some way, shape or form. And and I had told him this like a couple years prior and um, I had told him some of my ideas and stuff like that. So when he had the opportunity to work with a, a, a an association here in the third ward of Houston, um, the Emancipation De uh, Economic Development Council, uh, he reached out and it was like, do you want to do this with me? And I was like, yeah. And, and so one of the questions was like, you know, this will be long distance. So that might be weird. And I was like, no, I'll just move to Houston. Um, because it's no question. It's so easy for me. Like besides the finance aspect of it, which is the right. most difficult, like I'm game every time. When it's time to jump, I'm ready to jump. Mm -hmm. And um, my partner didn't really enjoy L.A. and was ready to leave anyway. And uh, while while Texas wasn't on our radar again, because we both lived in Texas as kids right. with the military and both as um, adults together, mm -hmm. uh, we're like, yeah, why not? You know, it's a more affordable too to live out here. And right. ultimately following my passion was the goal. So that's that's why I ended up in Houston. Uh, what's kept me here after leaving the shop uh, mm. is that it kind of feels like home. Like it, it doesn't, but it does. So I started Main Hustle Media back in 2018 when I started my shows. And um, ultimately, that was always the goal was to, to be able to produce um, POC based content, created content. Uh, right now it's all my content, you know, for the most part that I'm doing, but I have, I have produced other people's shows from time to time, Black Radical Queer hosted by Javi Nicole. I used to, uh, used to be under the main hustle media banner. Um, uh, but that show is kind of on hiatus. So we haven't figured out quite the whole future for it. Um, and then I'm starting another show with someone else soon too, uh, that's a travel based show, but um, the goal will be eventually for it to grow into its own podcast network studio space uh, in which I can assist in the education and creation of um, podcasts for POC folks um, to try to find more affordable ways in which they can access the technology and, and honestly just teach, teach people how to do what it is that, that we do. Um, and uh, and in addition to that, just also be the podcast network for all the shows that I do. And, you know, if in the future I start to to produce more shows, they would be also on that banner. Um, so Main Hustle Media Studios is something that is in my future. I, I have a version of it in my head. I'm, I'm waiting to see how it plays out.
podcaster, podcast producer, entrepreneur, and the CEO of Maine Hustle Incorporated, Charmaine Fury. She has joined me on Revelations, and now it is time for plug tuning. Oh, yeah, just like the song <laughs> from De La Soul. Uh, this is my where... heart immediately. <laughs> <laughs> De La Soul is my group. Oh, uh, mine too. Uh, this is where the person who is the guest gets a chance to plug whatever he or she desires. So, uh, Charmaine, where can people find you? Uh, so I describe myself as the busiest mixed race, bi-gendered, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. I am the CEO and founder of Main Hustle Media and the host and or co-host of Militantly Mixed Blurred Comics, B-L-E-R-D-C-O-M-I-X-E-D, by Furious and an upcoming travel show called Queer and Far. Uh, all of those handles, exactly how they're written out and spelled, are the same on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have a TikTok for Militantly Mixed that I'm barely just getting into. And uh, what else? Yeah, I mean, if you're at Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas in July, I'll be on a couple panels there, Melanin on the mic, and uh, podcasting is for the Blurds. Uh, if you're in attendance at Calexicon in August, I will be there moderating panels as well, waiting for my assignments, and I will be present at Dragon Con and New York Comic Con as an attendee and a cosplayer. So, hunt me down. <laughs> Ooh, you are a busy woman. Goodness gracious. Ugh. Uh, podcaster extraordinaire, <laughs> podcast <laughs> producer extraordinaire, entrepreneur and the CEO of uh, Hustle Main Incorporated, Charmaine Fury. Thank you, Charmaine. I appreciate this time that I have shared with you. Thanks for having me, Cole. I appreciate it. think I knew about this powerful voice for a couple of years before we even spoke is crazy. To have a conversation with her is a reminder that I should embrace the possible every day. We're different in more than just our gender. The Bible says, for God shows no partiality. So if God shows no unfair bias, why should I? It would preclude me from seeing a friend of mine blossom into the comic-loving, nerdy, militantly mixed, proudly black, bifurious, entrepreneurial phenomenon she's become. The beauty about humanity is that you learn more about yourself through the eyes of someone else. Many thanks to Charmaine Fury for giving us her perspective on life and why don't you join us every Tuesday on YouTube where you will see a different person like Charmaine interviewed each week for changing the world. One conversation at a time. I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been revelations. Thank you for tuning into revelations to download this episode. Go to Acast and type Revelations. For apparel, go to Spring and type Revelations. 
Music by Lakey Inspired. Music by Lakey Inspired.